I love to read, and, and when I get a book, I don't uh, really want to take my time with books. Right? I want to read through it because I have to get to the ending. I do the same thing with movies. I try and binge Netflix series. I want to get to the end because I'm so about the ending. I want the magical moment. So if I'm listening to an audible, I'll drive around my block an extra 20 minutes. Sorry, Sharon. An extra 20 minutes just to get to the end of the chapter because then I'm almost at the end of the book. Or if I'm at a, if I'm at a, in a Netflix series and it's only another 45 minutes, sometimes I'm like, hey, I got another 45 minutes. Then two days passes and I got nothing done. But my wife, on the other hand, totally different. Takes her time with everything. If we're watching a Netflix series, she gets real mad if I go ahead of her. Um, so she'll end up not finishing the show. If I give her a book to read and I tell her how good it is, she'll start to read it and she'll take her time. It'll take her a few weeks and a few months and then like a year will go by. I'm like, hey, did you ever finish that book? She always says the same thing. I got one chapter left. And I'm like, well, just read the chapter. I can read it out loud to you right now and I can get my book back. And she goes, I can't do it. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't do it? You have one chapter left. And she goes, I'm not ready for the story to be over. Something about the book, she begins to miss the characters and the storyline and the plot. So pick a series, pick a show, pick a movie, pick a book. She can't get to the end because she wants to savor the moment. But today we're coming to the end of our Moses series. And we're going to be taking a look and talking about the end of Moses' story, the end of his part in this amazing book we call the Word of God. Think about the things that we've covered about Moses, right? You can almost see the life of Moses as, as chapters in a book, right? Like chapter one, Moses was born during a time where the Egyptians made the Hebrew people slaves and how Egypt's, uh, the Egyptians started to see the Hebrew people growing more and more and more in number. So they decide, let's make a law to kill all the newborn babies, all the newborn boys, so they could manage the population, so God raises up two, two women to, to protect the babies, and God saw Moses' story even before he was born. But Moses' mother in secret keeps Moses and then puts him in a boat down the Nile only to be picked up by Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him, who named him, but not until he's about seven or eight years old. So he grows up as this Egyptian, but really he's a Hebrew, so now he's not fitting into either place. So when he tries to help his fellow Hebrew people, by murdering an Egyptian, it doesn't work out for him. So now he's forced to flee into the wilderness and hide. And he spends 40 years in Midian, becomes a shepherd, builds a family, and then he meets the Lord in a form of a burning bush. How crazy is that? And from this moment on, Moses' story launches into a saga that many, many people will hear and speak about for the rest of time. He stands on holy ground talking to God, and God calls him to go and set his people free. Go set the Hebrew people who were slaves in Egypt. God says, I'm hearing their cries, and I want salvation to come to them. So he has a land promised to them, a promised land that's flowing with milk and honey waiting for them. But Moses doubts him in this moment, and Moses feels like he doesn't have the right skill set to do it. Come on, how many of us feel that way? We, we struggle with this imposter syndrome, whether it's, whether it's in our Christianity or at church or at school or at our job. We feel like, hey, I, I, I'm saying the right things, but man, I hope no one knows that I feel like I'm inadequate. And Moses gets that. 
So God allows Moses to bring his brother to kind of be the MC of this whole thing. They go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go, let God's people go. And Pharaoh says no and continues to say no. And with that no, he makes the Hebrew people suffer more and more. But God hasn't even begun. God then uses Moses to bring plagues, frogs, flies, boils, water turning into blood, killing firstborn children and more. Pharaoh relents. Finally, seeing that God is a name to be reckoned with and lets his people go, happy ending, except then Pharaoh changes his mind. He goes then after the Hebrew people, but Moses, by the call of God, leads the people to the Red Sea. Great strategy plan, Moses. He leads the people to the Red Sea, and now they are with a sea in front of them and Egypt coming at their back. And with that sea in front of them, the army behind them, do they stay? Do they accept defeat? No, they keep going because God split the sea. You sang about it this morning, right? And they walk right through it. The people of God walk through on dry land. And once they are safe across the sea, God closes the waters on the Egyptians. Destroying the boogeyman. And his people are free. And something new begins. Chapter 2. From Exodus to Leviticus, the people of God are at the base of Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 19, we talked about it a few weeks ago, they got to meet God. They met God. Like, you know, God, the living God, creator of all things. They meet God in the form of thunder and in lightning. And they are looking at this mountaintop and they're standing in awe of him as they observe the boundary. They make a covenant, a promise with God that he will be their God and they will be his people. And they will obey all of his commands and he will love them. And he will make them a nation and lead them into that promised land that is flowing with milk and honey. But quickly, the people break the covenant, don't they? Making idols for themselves, complaining along the way and comparing their life wandering to life as slaves. And Moses, the now leader of millions of people, fighting for them, reminding them over and over and over again who God is. God then builds them a tabernacle. We learned about that last week. The people, the Israelites, are now called to move only when God moves and stay when he says he wants them to stay. He's with them in the presence of a cloud by day and fire by night. They build a tent called the tabernacle that they put in the middle of the camp to remember who he was and to keep their focus on him. And then God finally calls his people, takes them into the promised land. But once they saw that there were giants there, they feared the situation and refused to go into the land. So God says he will wait 40 years before he lets them go back to that land again. He waits for the first generation to die off, and he's going to start in this promised land with a brand new one. So 40 years, the people of God wander with Moses as the leader being led by fire and smoke till finally God calls his people to the promised land. And along the way, the people cried for food, and God provided, God provided bread from heaven called manna. They complained and asked Moses for water, and he strikes a rock, and water begins to pour out. The people wanted meat, so God provides quail, and they have so much meat, it feels like it's coming out of their noses, and they can't stand it anymore. Moses saved his people from plagues. He guided them through the wandering desert. He pleaded on their behalf, and he kept going. There were highs and lows throughout their journey, but now it's finally going to happen. They were finally going to enter the promised land. That's a long story. And I barely even went into the depth of it. When we look at the whole story of Moses, you can't help but being amazed and shocked at it all. That all that was done, all that they had accomplished, all that Moses was able to lead through. And as I look at this, as I look at all we talked about and all the story of Moses, and in the past few weeks, something always stands out to me. When I look at the whole story of Exodus and the whole story of Moses and what God did for his people, it wasn't about the plagues. It wasn't about the bread from heaven. It wasn't about water coming from a rock. 
what stands out to me the most was God's relationship with Moses. I think there's something amazing about how Moses' relationship with God is described through this story. But you have to jump around a little bit to see it. So we're going to be in Exodus 33 if you have your Bibles. And I'm going to dive right in because you know I talk long and I have a lot to say. In Exodus 33, verse 7, it says this, It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside of the camp. So before the tabernacle was completed, remember that we learned about that last week, the presence of God dwelling among the people in this portable church, this portable tent, right? Moses would set up this tent of meeting outside the camp ways away, set apart from the rest. And anyone who had a request from God would go to the tent of meeting where Moses would be meeting with God on their behalf. Continuing on in verse 8. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrance of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, that's the thing they were following, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in the front of their own tents. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing, right? The cloud that would lead them day in and day out or tell them to stay, right, would actually come down and hover it in front of the entrance of this tent where Moses would be inside the tent talking to God. And all the people would actually see what was going on and they would just bow down in amazement right there. What gets me is the next line that happens in this chapter. Out of everything that's happened so far, this is what hits me. Verse 11. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. God spoke to Moses face to face like one would speak to a friend. Tell me that isn't the most amazing sentence. That God, you know, big God, would choose Moses, a nobody shepherd, murdering, lost drifter, to be his friend. Time and time again, God would speak with Moses like a friend, and God would call him up the mountain, and Moses would spend days with him. Can you imagine what that would be like? Could you imagine what it would be like to Moses that you could just ask the questions you always were wondering and talk to God face to face and know that the God, that the greatest being in all of creation sitting across from you is your friend? What do you think that conversation was like? What would you say if you had the chance not just to see God, but actually talk to him, to sit and talk with him like a friend? In the next chapter, Exodus chapter 34, God calls Moses up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So Moses goes up the mountain. He doesn't eat or drink anything the whole time he's up there with God. I'm not really sure how it works physically, but somehow he did it. And Moses trusted God. But look at verse 29 with me. It says, when Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, those are the Ten Commandments, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. 
So when Moses would spend time with God, something about him would change. Moses' face would actually shine like the sun because of all the time he spent with God. People would see it, and they'd be terrified. I kind of get why, right? I mean, could you imagine that if I came here on this Sunday morning, and I got to go talk to God, and then I would come out here to try and talk to you, and as I'm going to talk to you, you would see my face glowing like this X-Men Marvel character? You would all be like, what is happening We don't even need the lights. He's just lighting up the room. Again, I'm not sure how it works, but I don't know. Whatever they saw was noticeable. It goes on to say this in verse 31. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. And then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. And so he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. Moses spent so much time with God that he literally would shine to the point where he had to cover his face because people couldn't even look at him. And Moses had such a relationship with God that it physically changed what he looked like. Moses experienced intimacy with God. An intimacy that we can only dream of. And when I read this, and when I was reading this, preparing for this sermon, I was just sitting there kind of pondering and thinking of what it would be like if I could just sit and talk to God like that. Where I could approach God like a friend. And when I, when I read this, I, I couldn't help but almost get a little jealous of Moses. Moses got to see and experience everything about God. I know he wandered the desert for 40 years. I know he had to deal with millions of people who didn't like him. I know he was this guy in plagues and all this stuff. I know it, but pardon me if I'm being honest. I'm like, man, but you got to see him. You never even had the doubt. He was standing in front of you. I was so jealous. Moses got to see and experience God, but also got to talk to him. To experience God so close that he could feel his glory. How many of us want that? How many of us desire that? We desire a real intimacy with God, but yet we don't feel him. Actually, I think if we are being honest, we don't know what intimacy with God or a real relationship with him even looks like. I mean, we made the catchy phrases. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. Or I have a personal relationship with my Savior. Tell someone on the street that they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. What does that mean? Do we know what that means? Do we realize how crazy and amazing and wonderful of a thought that is that we can have a relationship with God? Because when we look at the stories of Moses, we actually think, oh, well, that's Moses. I mean, Moses is the elite. He's the real deal. He can do no wrong. He's like the spiritual father, the leader of a nation. He's different from me. I could never do what Moses did. Let me tell you today, Moses was just a man. 
There's nothing supernaturally different about Moses. He's not different than you or me. He wasn't better than us. He didn't have more skills than us. He didn't have more talents available to him. He was just a man with faults and failures. And somehow the world has gotten into our minds that we have to be this perfect, sinless being to have this real relationship with God. But that just isn't true. Moses was just a man. But what was different about him was that he desired and had a real relationship with God. And it started with Moses listening and then obeying. And then that led to intimacy. And because that word has a lot of different meanings in our culture, when I say Moses and God were in an intimate relationship, here's what I mean by intimacy. Intimacy is what we call the experience of really knowing and being known by another person. I'm going to say it again. Intimacy is what we call the experience of really knowing and being known by another person. So in our culture, where intimacy is used to describe a sexual or physical relationship, that completely cheapens the word. It's so much richer because of God. Just think, many people, many, many people know God. They know the name of Jesus. Really hard to find that in America today where people don't know the name God. But that's extremely different than knowing God. This is something we explain to the youth all the time, but yet it's something many of us find hard to grasp. There's a difference between knowing my name and my height and what color my skin is and then knowing me, knowing my likes and my dislikes, what excites me and what saddens me. And the big problem in the church today is how many people know about God but don't really know him. We can recite a few verses. Maybe we know a few of the Bible stories. Maybe we even have a favorite Bible passage. But we have compartmentalized our faith into an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. We get up and drag ourselves to a Sunday. Maybe we even come excited. But once we leave this school, we just wait for the next week to happen. And we get stuck in the mindset of believing being close to God means coming on a Sunday morning or volunteering in a different area. But intimacy is not spatial. It's not based on how physically close you are to someone. Intimacy is all about knowing someone on this deeper level. And what breaks my heart is that we can come to church every week. We can come to church every single week for years and never truly be knowing and having a relationship with God. What I mean is Moses spent time with God, but he actually spent actual time with him. The more time he spent with him, the more he would be transformed by God's love, which impacted all of the people around him. I worry that many of us have become comfortable just giving God quick moments of our life rather than giving God quality time. When was the last time you felt like you spent uninterrupted time with God? The quick moments are okay, but they're fleeting and they bring no depth. But we feel these moments of just distance between God when we live that way. When we just have quick moments with God, if we just make him a quick to-do list, a check on our to-do list of the day, we begin to feel the distance from him more and more. Let me tell you, when we feel that distance... And we drift more and more and more away from God. There are other voices that are trying to get in. That are trying to distract us 
and derail us. When we start to say we don't feel him, or we're not experiencing him, it feels like we're just getting farther and farther away from him. But let me tell you the truth this morning. God didn't move. God stayed exactly where he was. We drift from God and come over here. He stays where he was and he's, he keeps his promises. God's desire is for this amazing, intimate relationship with us just like he had with Moses. He wants to spend quality time with us. He wants to continue knowing us and for us to continue to know and really know him. But what is lacking in our lives isn't the need for more knowledge about God. I'm not saying you have to study all the different names of God and how to say it in Hebrew and Greek. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is we have to really know God and that is about spending time with him. When I was on sabbatical last year, I had six weeks off. And one of the things that we do here when we're on sabbatical and we get this time gifted to us from you guys is we change our phone numbers so we don't have to talk to you guys. <laughs> and so I changed my number. I got all social media, and I was trying to turn the volume of the world down. You guys get what I mean when I say that? And day one, day one, I woke up. It's the start of my sabbatical. I turned my old phone number off. I get ready for the day, and I head out to the gym. I'd probably been awake for maybe an hour or so, and I'm driving down the road. No music on, no podcasts, no audiobooks. And I'm driving down the road like I do many mornings, and before I got to a red light, I'm just thinking, and I'm just quiet. I was just sitting in silence. So then I get to this red light, I kid you not, all of a sudden, there's tears running down my face. And for a quick moment, in a very long time, I felt like I didn't hear any noise. And I'm not talking about street noise. But I'm talking about mental noise. You guys know what I'm talking about. I could think clearly for a second. So here I am at that red light, I don't know why I'm crying, you know, boogers. And I'm sitting at the red light, and all of a sudden, I say out loud, God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm so sorry that I put you on the back burner of my mind and made the world much louder. And I'm a pastor. I'm a professional Christian. And here I am, getting emotional on the side of the road, because I realized that I can talk to God. That the world doesn't have to be so loud. And somehow me, this pastor, this professional Christian, who's at church every single week, even if it's Labor Day and I have no band. <laughs> and I can still put God on the back burner. Because I know I have the tendency to read my Bible and get distracted quickly with noise in the room or the sound of my phone buzzing. But when I'm scrolling, right, on my, my Instagram reels for eight minutes, those eight minutes feel like seconds. But sitting at a red light for a couple of minutes can feel like an eternity. What's happening is we're making the world so loud in our lives, and it's dulling the voice of God. Because we can make all the other things priority. In a few minutes, with all the technology we have, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying technology is bad. I have an iPhone. I think it's cool. I think it's awesome. I always get one. It's great. 
But in those few minutes of scrolling Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat or Facebook, in those few minutes, I can hear 100 different opinions on 100 different topics and have all of that rattling in my head. But in those minutes, I can miss spending time with a God who loves me and has something to say to me. Moses spent time with God, real time, where God was the focus, not the afterthought, not the thing to get done not the thing in passing. The more he spent with God, the more it changed him. And as he was knowing God, he felt him to the point when he would be done talking with God, the whole nation knew, whoa, he must have been talking with God. When Moses would sit and ponder and talk face to face with God like a friend, his face would shine. And when he would leave that tent, he would go out into the world and the world would go, Moses must have talked with God. I can see his face. How many times have we spent time with God when we would leave our houses, people would go, wow, you must have spent time with God today. Something is just different about you. There, uh, recently, and, and this is not to boast, so please uh, hear my heart on this one. Recently, uh, the, the board and the elders were called to do a fast. Um, we, were, we were making some decisions, and we were talking about different things, and we decided that we were going to fast from food for three days. This is not a boast in me, so please understand my heart. And so we fasted for three days, and I remember thinking, I've never fasted more than 24 hours, and I get hungry a lot. So I'm like, okay, I'll do this. I've never done it. I was like, I remember praying, God, you're going to have to see me through it. So for three days, I didn't eat. And I was fine. But what, was, what stood out to me was at the end, I remember saying, okay, youth groups tonight, I'm going to end my time of fasting at middle school Bible study. And the first thing I had was a chip. And then all of a sudden I had thousands of chips. I was double fisting in the bowl, trying to have a conversation with chips falling down my face, all over my shirt. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, God's good. And I'm just eating in the bowl. But what got me was, when I got home, I'm talking to my wife, and we we're, were sitting on the couch talking, and I was, she said, well, how did you feel about the fast? You never did that for three days before. How are you feeling? I was like, I felt pretty good. I wasn't even hungry until I decided that I was going to stop in an hour, and then I got really hungry. But what happens was she goes, you know what I got to tell you? You were so different when you were fasting. I was like, well, how? And she was like, you were just nicer. I don't think of that. Am I mean? me? But I'm sitting there, and she goes, you were a lot nicer. She's like, things that would normally bother you, you'd be like, eh, I'm not going to worry about that. Or, or God's got it, or oh, okay, and you were able to make clear decisions. But something else she said that really got me. She said, you reminded me of when you were like 18, 19 years old. You didn't work for a church yet, and you were excited about everything God was doing. I'll never forget that sentence and that moment. Because when I was 18, I was new, baby. I was a new Christian. And I was like, God is so awesome. And then now I'm like, God is awesome, but we got to go get things done. And in those three days of silence and having God as the focus, I remembered, no, God is so awesome. I don't know about you, but I want to develop the same type of intimacy with God that Moses had. If this is something you desire, there are ways to achieve an intimacy with God. 
There are ways to make it happen. The first step we need to take is we need to quiet down. If we want intimacy with God, first thing we need to do is be able to hear him. And that's by turning the world down so his voice can be heard more clearly. James chapter 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I knew that verse for years. I mean years, but only recently in my understanding that drawing near to God is more than attending a service. It's more than going into a Bible study or being part of a youth group or being part of a small group. It's about spending real time with your Savior. I know you're probably thinking, how can I spend time with God? I don't have a tent where a cloud is going to hover over it. Good question. I'm glad you asked. We need to go to him. Moses went to the tent of meeting. It was set apart from the camp, and he would get up and go, I'm going to go spend time with God. We need to go to our tent. Not an actual tent, unless maybe that's what you want in your backyard, but we need to go, get up and go to God. Right? Moses would get up, he'd go to the tent of meeting. He would go to the mountain. You don't have to be in a tent because we have his word. This is all we need. Rather than us trying to squeeze God into what we're doing in our day-to-day, we need to go to him, right? We need to take this word, right? If we believe that God is who he is, and that he is who he says he is, and he's saying, hey, I've given you my word, and this word tells about my characteristics and the things I like and I dislike, and this word tells you who I am, wouldn't we tear it apart to get to know him? The book of James says if we have to draw near to God, this is a daily thing where we go to God and he will come to us. The hour a week we spend together or the quick daily Bible verse is not enough to develop intimacy with God. If my wife and I only exchanged one sentence a day, I would not classify that as intimacy. That's barely even a relationship. But sitting with each other to the points where sometimes me and my wife don't even need to say a word to each other. We just enjoy each other's presence we know what each other is feeling. That's part of intimacy, knowing each other. And sometimes we can do that with God. As followers of Jesus, we have his word. We have the inspired word to learn the character of God, to know his likes, to know his dislikes, to know what brings him joy and what breaks his heart. It allows us to truly know him. This is why we, as a church, do the soap and the soap guides and the reading of a chapter. It's not because we want to give you homework. School does that enough but it's to give every person an opportunity to sit in God's word, right? We give you, if you like to check the boxes, we give you a little bookmark, you can check the boxes. If you need a guide to help you, we give you the guide. If you just want to know what chapter to read today, we send you that too. It's just giving you an option, an opportunity to say, hey, I'm going to take time to be with God. What if we made God the priority in our life? And before checking our phones, before running to our to-do list of the day, what if we started our day by spending time with God? Actually prayed a real conversational prayer. Actually making space and listening for what he's going to say. Spending time in his word. What if we leaned on God at the start of our day like we would need water? He sang it earlier today. I loved hearing everyone's voice. And was like, I need your love like I need water. What if we treated God like we needed water? Every day we'd be like, oh, I'm thirsty. You don't forget. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I always compare it in youth group where people I'm talking with is like, you know what? Most people, most people, not all people, most people don't forget to brush their teeth in the morning. I would hope. I haven't smelled your eyes' breath today. But most people don't forget to brush their teeth. 
but we forget to spend time with God every day, don't we? What if we leaned on God at the start of our day like one would need water? I say this because that, that, that's something I absolutely struggle with. I already wake up crazy early. I think to myself, wow, if I got up any earlier, it just wouldn't, I'd be so tired. If I get up multiple times a week, I get up early to run. I mean, who wants to run in the morning? What's stopping me from waking up to spend time with God then? We see Jesus model this when he would withdraw himself from the crowds to go pray to his father. We need to pray and sit in his presence. Have you ever just sat in the presence of God? Every day, God is inviting us into intimacy with him. The real question is, is do we accept it? And I'm not speaking just to you. Again, please hear my heart. I'm speaking to me. While writing this message, I found myself distracted by my phone yet again. And there are moments I would go through my whole day, right? I would teach Bible studies and then get in my car and on the way home I go, wow, God, I did all the stuff you asked me, but I didn't even spend time with you today. I know many people have talked to me over the years and they say the same thing. I just don't feel God anymore. And when I ask, when was the last time you spent a dedicated time in silence or really reading his word in hopes of being transformed by it, I usually hear, well, I read sometimes, but I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of it. Or I, I read the daily Bible verse, it didn't apply to me. Or when was the last time you really bowed down, I mean actually bowed down, and prayed to him and with him, with God? I'm not talking about how you think about some stuff and say, well, God knows my thoughts, because we can do that. We can ask you, oh, are you praying about it? And you're like, yeah, but really we're just thinking about it and go, oh, well, God knows my thoughts, so then I technically prayed. I'm really good at those prayers. Oh, I need to get that thing done. I'm really worried about it. I don't say, God, can you help me with that thing? I say, oh, yeah, he knows my thoughts, so he must know I'm worried about it. I'm talking about taking time where you really sat and talked to him like you would a friend, listening for his voice like you're hearing mine now. This is what stood out to me while reading the story of Moses and how close he was with God. What would it look like if we actually spent real time with God? It would become the highlight of our day rather than just our week. We would feel so close to him to be truly transparent and open with God, to really have spent quality time with him reading his word and listening to him and obeying his commands, that it would transform us, that we would be transformed by his love. When we spend real time with God, our intimacy with him will grow, and we will watch how our lives will change. I started today joking about endings. I want to flip all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 34 to see how developing intimacy with God impacted Moses' ending. It's been 40 years since Moses left Egypt, and now the Hebrews are getting ready to enter into the promised land. Remember, we start off saying Moses' life was like a story. Chapter 1, leaving Egypt. Chapter 2, wandering in the desert. And now chapter 3, entering the promised land. But before this, Moses actually has his own failing with God. Because remember, like I said, he's human. He's just a man, and we all sin and fall short. Along the way, the people were complaining again for water. And Moses went to God, as he often did, and God told Moses to speak to a rock, and water would pour out. So Moses, like all of us, doesn't necessarily follow God's instructions exactly. I think he was tired of the people complaining, and he had enough. 
So instead of listening to God and speaking to the, the rock, he yells at the people, and then he smacks the rock with his staff. He yells, do I have to give you water? Slams the staff against the rock that he was supposed to speak to. This was a moment Moses directly disobeyed what God commanded. And it was a seemingly small thing. But remember we talked about a few weeks ago. Remember who God is. God is holy. And Moses is not above God. And is not free to interpret his commands however he wants. Moses was not above sinning. So this disobedience was sin, and because of it, God said he would not enter the promised land. All those years wandering the desert with these complaining millions of people, and they're going to go in, this new generation, and Moses will not. How disappointing. All the work of managing these people, and one mistake disqualifies you. I wonder if this was actually an extension of God's grace to Moses so his story might end in one of the most intimate ways in all of the Bible. Jump with me to chapter 34. Here God tells Moses to climb Mount Nebo, this mountain in Jordan. Check out verse 1. It says, Then Moses went up Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab. Jump to verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants, and I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes but you will not enter the land. So because of Moses' sin, he couldn't go into the promised land, but God wanted him to see all that he had done. And Moses watches as he finally finishes the task that God had for him, leading the people to the land that was promised so long ago. I love this next part in verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, And just as the Lord had said, verse 6, the Lord buried him in the valley near Beth Beor in Moab, but to this day, no one knows the exact place. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyesight was clear, and he was as strong as ever. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and in verse 6 when it says that the Lord buried him. When we bury people, we have funerals and stuff like that. It's a very intimate thing to be at a funeral. It's a very intimate thing to take someone's body that their life is no longer in and bury it. Something intimate happens. You've, a lot of us have lost a loved one. I love that God says he will bury Moses. I think that says something about his relationship with him. What a fitting ending for Moses. All that time spent with God, spoken to like a friend, I can't think of a better ending than his last moments were with God on that mountain, watching the work of his hands. The Lord burying him is a sign of intimacy that Moses had with him. And the chapter ends with saying this in verse 10. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses who knew the Lord face to face. Out of everything Moses got to do and see, the most amazing part is that he knew God face to face like a friend. From all the signs and wonders, all the conversations, he still doubted because he's human. He's just like us. 
when we all doubt, we all struggle, we all sin, but none of that took him away from developing an intimacy with God. As I wrote this message today, I could not help, this is my transparency showing, I could not help but be convicted that I want that intimacy with God. Moses' ending gave way to the promised land. It gave way to something new and continue. Moses got to talk to God face to face. When the Israelites only had Moses, they had to go to him to get to talk to God. But not anymore. We don't only get to talk to God certain times of the year. We don't only get to talk to God because someone is his friend. But he's always with us for those who believe. Jesus wants to talk to each of us. And for those who put their faith and hope in him, he comes near to us. And his very Holy Spirit dwells within us. So I think we have to examine ourselves. Be honest with ourselves. What does our relationship with God look like? Would we describe him as someone we speak to with, someone we speak with like a friend? Today, maybe you feel distant from God. Maybe you feel like you haven't felt him in so long. Let me remind you, he loves you and he wants to be with you. And like he was with Moses, he wants to be with us. And if we allow ourselves to spend time with him, it will change us more and more to be like him. But this will take intentionality on our parts. Crying, quieting down the world that's always yelling for more attention. To close our time this morning, I want to play a song. It's called Caught in Those Reeds. Maybe this morning you need to spend time with God. Maybe take time to repent of the times you made him less of a priority in your life. We put, him on, we put our relationship with him on the back burner. Today, we can start fresh and ask God for more intimacy. We can ask him to help quiet our hearts and we can go to his word and we can talk to him. We can talk to God like a friend. May we be a church that draws near to God and we do, I'm sure we'll realize how loved we are and how much more we feel him near. So I'm going to pray. And then as the song's playing, I just take some time. We're going to listen to the whole song. But anytime during that time, you just take time to reflect on who God is and how much he loves you. The things he's done for us. And then when you are ready, the communion tables are open. Right? The Bible says to examine ourselves before we come to the table because this is the sign of our salvation. The bread being broken for us, that's his body. The blood being spilled, the juice. It says, before you take this, examine yourself. How's your relationship with God? It also says in Corinthians, when it talks about communion, that to make sure that no one's in need among you. After we listen to the song at any point when you feel like you're ready and you're like, have I examined myself? I, I want this intimacy with God. I welcome you to the table. There's, there's gluten-free options, I, I don't, there's corn-free options, but it's about the table. It's about the elements, so when you're, when you're ready, please walk up, but uh, let me tell you this. If you are someone in need this morning, 
you're saying, hey, I don't, I don't feel him, Will. I, I, I know you're up there. I know you're yelling at me. I'm not trying to yell, but I, know, I, just, I don't feel him anymore. Uh, at the end of service, the very end, I'll be over in the, in the corner over there, and I'm willing to pray with you. God hasn't moved. You can always pray and be right back with him. So let me pray for communion. The song will start, and when you're ready, just go up, take and eat, take and drink, and then spend some time in reflection. Lord Jesus, we love you. You're a good God who loves us, and you desire intimacy with us. God, may we spiritually shine like the sun, be radiant from the glow of heaven when we have spent time with you, oh Jesus. And right now, God, we repent for the times we put you on the back burner and said that my to-do list is more important than you. That my problems are more important than you. Forgive us, O King. Thank you for your body being broken for us and your blood being spilled so that we may have salvation. Holy Spirit, do a work in us. In Jesus' name I pray.